Welcome to episode 127 of the Marvel Studios News Podcast. My name is Sean Gerber, joined as always by Paul Herman. How you doing, Paul? Well, I'm pretty good. I got some taco time in me. I'm feeling uh, feeling great, you know, so I'm ready to talk some Marvel. We got, we got, we've been a while. It's been a week. It's been a while. Yeah, we just yeah. wrapped up the greatest football podcast you've never heard, uh, which one day, which followed the greatest NBA podcast yeah. you, you've never heard. <laughs> Um, yeah, but before that, I was already talking Marvel. I was talking Marvel with some of the folks on our Patreon exclusive discord community via office hours. We had a group in there and we've been talking about that because I've been doing that lately is just voice chatting with, uh, some of your fellow Marvel fans for those of you listening. So for more information on our discord, you can visit patreon.com slash Marvel studios news. But yeah, we had a lot of fun in there talking Marvel and then I had to go because I had to record with Paul. So that's right. What we are finally going to talk about, like a month later, is we're finally ready to not just talk about Avengers Endgame, as we've been doing on the show, but what's going to happen after Endgame? What are the ramifications of everything that happened in Endgame? What does it mean for the future of the Marvel Cinematic Universe? And for this show, we're going to focus more on the the broader ideas, the high-level ideas, not so much uh, specific characters and where they're headed after Endgame. Maybe that's going to become our next podcast series. I don't know. Probably not, because we just did a character-by-character character series. Yeah. Uh, but we want. there are some big ideas in Endgame, and they've created a lot of questions for how things might work in the future. And so that's what we're going to get into in this episode. The first thing that I want to start with, Paul, is this five-year jump for everybody who's come back. Because as Tony tells Bruce Banner before he snaps his fingers, just everybody who disappeared five years ago, bring them back to right now, today. Don't change anything from the past five years, which means that for all those heroes who turned to dust, as well as all the regular people, all of the anonymous citizens who turned to dust, they were feeling they were not feeling so good one minute, and the next thing they know after they shut their eyes is they wake up and... For them, it certainly doesn't feel like uh, they weren't able to register the passage of time, but everybody else was. And so now they come back to Earth where five years have gone by uh, in their absence. The world has moved on, and yet for them, it still feels like it's it's only been a few moments. And so first, just that general, before we get into what it means, I will say that I love that this was the solution in Avengers Endgame because it means that what Thanos did it still matters and there was no and it couldn't be undone completely cuz there are there are certain things about this that don't that don't change and it also means that everybody is going to remember what Thanos did even though the avengers got everybody who turned to dust got them all back there's this permanent scar in the MCU timeline that came from Thanos and it came from Infinity War and i always liked i ever since i saw endgame and what I was, I liked it better, and because it, it led into what I was hoping for, what I was hoping we wouldn't get. Rather, I didn't want the Infinity Gauntlet solution where almost nobody remembers that it happened. I wanted people to remember what happened in Infinity War. I wanted it to matter in the MCU going forward, and it does because of the way things were resolved in Endgame. Because there are certain things that are just when when you break this down and people have already speculated about the different things that could happen i mean because of this 5 year time gap obviously we're going to see some of this we'll experience some of this in spider-man far from home but there's a lot of things to consider paul about things not being able to come all the way back bringing back people who were dusted doesn't necessarily at least as far as we know doesn't bring back people who died as collateral damage from the snap i mean we saw examples of that right Right. We saw the helicopter crash in the post-credit scene for Avengers Infinity War. Well, 
if somebody else was on board that helicopter besides who the pilot who got dusted, they're dead too. Um, and people have already thought about scenarios of plane crashes and all these other kinds of things where people could have died, um, died a physical death, not via the not via turning to dust via the snap. Um, and then there's also people who would have died. I mean, imagine you disappear and then you come back, and in those five years, other people you know died, and you weren't around for their final years. You you know other people would have died because that's what happens in these five years where the where the world is going on. And then you know people brought up this idea a bunch. You know people who are married that somebody comes back from the snap and five years have gone by and their spouse actually survived the snap and then moved on and, and remarried. And so you have people who can't go back to what their life was before the snap, whatever they were doing before the snap, it's not available to them anymore. And so just in, in terms of the overall impact of the snap, I know people point at this and say as if it's a flaw in Endgame, and And I don't see it that way because to me, I, it's still a win for the Avengers because it's still better point to whatever issues come up as a result of this. It's still better than half of the universe being dead. It's still, it just is. Um, but I like that they couldn't, even though they could undo a lot of what Thanos did, they couldn't undo it completely. And to me, that was the right call. Yeah. I, I, I like the idea of the five years because it, like, I guess, like I said, it gives, it gives the heroes coming back, you know, like the Spider-Man and, and all that, all that stuff it gives a weight to them and now it gives them almost like a guilt. I, I kind of like that idea of people kind of walking around knowing that they've survived something that maybe not everyone was fortunate to have that opportunity happen to them. Kind of a second chance, if you will. And I think there's a there is a great story. And one of the things I think Kevin Feige has done in the, in the MCU that, again, he does things he orchestrates so beautifully well and. Obviously, he's he's in charge of the whole thing. He's got other other things he's doing besides story, but he's running the show and knows what's going to work thematically. And you couldn't really do this in comic books. I know DC did something like this. It was a year later, and they tried. It's it, I don't know. If, and and as something that's a reoccurring continuity that's never never grows old, like in, in comic books. Basically, it's hard to do something like this and have it mean something, right? Because these characters stay the same age. Well, obviously these. In, in our in the MCU, characters age. They 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 get older. There there's there's more. You can develop these characters as we've talked about before, like with Iron Man and Captain America. These 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 characters can have a beginning, middle, and end. So a lot of these new not newer characters, but the characters were were, were invested in that aren't Iron Man and Captain America. We're more we can get to see ramifications of of being dusted now mm. and seeing okay how does that affect them? We, we're going to see it with Spider Man. But it's a little different because I, I think because he's he's a kid and it looks like they're all his friends were dusted at, at the same time. Very convenient how that works, right? So, uh, <laughs> hey, but for, okay, on the convenience of some of Spider-Man's friends, uh, you know, Peter's friends, and even Aunt May also surviving, right? It's no greater of a statistical anomaly than all six original Avengers surviving Absolutely. the snap. I, yeah, so yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that's just, it's just the way the math swings sometimes, especially when you get to choose how the math is going to swing when you're writing yeah. a script. And that's fine. And, and, and that was more obviously a joke. I wasn't being serious because yeah, it, it's whatever. But, but what I, what I'm looking forward to is seeing how those effects uh, are, are the people that are going to be in the future films. Um, obviously Captain Marvel is not one of them, but Black Panther. I mean, I think that to me is a really intriguing one because I you always forget that he was dusted. Right. Mm -hmm. And Okoye survived. So basically she's going to have to get him up to speed 
with everything that's going on. Right. And the ram- and the ramifications that what went on without having him around for five years, maybe that's what leads Namar to rise up for whatever reason. Maybe they're going to use those five years of turmoil or whatever that what's happening in Wakanda mm-hmm. with also Namar's like where what happened? Like the world went to hell. And I had to come in and, you know, no one's stopping these people from terrorizing my ocean or whatever. I mean, you, you, but you get what I'm yeah. saying. Like, there's- well, I think I think the five year gap lends itself to either one of the two scenarios that I've looked at for the Black Panther sequel. You know, you brought up the Namor idea and, you know, Steve made a comment, too, about uh, cleaner water. And so maybe Namor's not so mad, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, that half of know. maybe he's mad that everybody came back. You know, maybe yeah. he's like, hey. Things were kind of looking good, you know. Things were, things were looking okay for the ocean in these five-year gap. I mean, presumably he would have lost half of his people as well, so he probably wasn't happy about that. But maybe it points to you know you might have Namor at least feeling like okay, well, things were getting a little better, and now it's a problem again. Although, if the tremors, you know, if, if the uh, you know the earthquake under the ocean off the African plate, like if that was him, then he's all. If that has anything to do with him, then maybe he was already rising up before everybody was brought back. But um, yeah. there's you could approach it from different angles, but clearly Na- there is motive for Namor to enter the story right now if he's going to. But another thing is if they go more of the Ta-Nehisi Coates route and go with internal revolution within Wakanda, mm. then it could be somebody who survived the snap who says, look, cool that you're back, T'Challa, but, you know, you, you know, Wakanda's really just ever since you decided to open Wakanda up to the rest of the world, it's really meant nothing but suffering for us. So we don't think you're the right guy. And just because you blinked back into existence doesn't mean we now we are going to think you're the right guy. Uh, it's maybe it's somebody else. So whether it's internal revolution or a war with Atlantis, the five year gap uh, certainly creates issues for T'Challa that could be explored in his sequel. Yeah, and I think that's a great, great thing to go into, because if you have if, if, if the king is gone, think of the second film. He's, you know, it, the first film is about him becoming the king, right? Him mm. kind of accepting his role. Well, the second film, from what you're – it almost seems like a very natural thing that he has to win those people back because he was gone. Mm-hmm. It's not – you know, he has to win – you know, because maybe during that time there is a revolution of Wakanda and there's people want, don't want to – they don't think they need a leader. They need to have a, a whatever. And and, to, and the Chala has to go and actually prove himself to be the leader again because, again, for being gone for five years and there was no leadership or there, they didn't have that, that I mean, leader. That, I'm, I'm guessing Okoye and Mbaku filled in. But, sure. But you but, could certainly say that you know for somebody else. I mean – and I know it's a celebration at the end in Wakanda. We see everybody at night in Wakanda celebrating, but – that doesn't literally mean everybody, you know, there could just, you could even have a scene that shows that celebration and then cut to some guy in a room, you know, plotting T'Challa's demise because like he was not celebrating the fact that the King is back. Right. Exactly. And so I think there's, there's a, there's a, there's a cool story there. And obviously Ryan, uh, Coogler is going to probably put, you know, probably has something like that in the back of his mind already. And I'm really excited. I mean, granted, like you could do that with Namor still too. Yeah. Who knows? I mean, like either way, I feel there's there's a uh, when you're looking at it politically or from more of like the character based story besides the action and who the villain is, et cetera, et cetera. I think that's where they're probably going to go with with Black Panther. And again, that five year gap. Think about the you know if our president or not say not this is not a good example, but a president <laughs> or okay uh was gone for five if, years. If President Matthew Ellis was gone yeah, for five years. There you go. 
it, it would be there would be significance to that. And so to me, there's I'd be in, very interested to see what happens in in the, in the in the example of Black Panther. So I think that's where you go with the five year gap. But I think the five year if I if I may a little bit here for me, the five year gap could there's a lot you could do. And I almost feel that Kevin Feige did this. On, they wanted to do this on purpose to set up this, the next phase or the next era of MCU films, because there's a lot you can do story wise. And that's all the whole point of the show. But one of the things that I really I'm wondering is the stuff we don't see or we don't know about that they're going to bring up. Right. So like for me, what what happens to Hydra during those five years? Right. Like that's and you go back into Sam Wilson and the Winter Soldier, uh, Falcon and maybe potentially Captain America, which I'm still predicting to be Captain America at the end of the show and in that series, whatever. But you got to wonder what exactly is going to happen underneath, you know, under after the Avengers are, are doing their, their cosmic thing. Mm. There's still their earthly thing going on. So what exactly is going on in the underworld of the MCU, which we they haven't really gone into too much. And w there are some things there. We obviously have uh, the potential of Thunderbolts, but I'm not even thinking about them. I'm thinking about the li literal bad guys that is going to be the basis off this new era. And I have to think that like Hydra or something like that is going to be at work. And I'm curious what your what your take on that is, Sean. I mean, I don't know about Hydra because, I mean, according to Ant-Man and the Wasp, S.H.I.E.L.D. and Hydra don't exist anymore. Sorry, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Um, five, five years, though. Five yeah, years. I mean, a bunch of time has gone by, and so anybody who was Hydra certainly would have had opportunities to maybe grow. But you could also say that Hydra was just as impacted as, you know, the, the bad guys were just as impacted as the good guys. And that's true. And it was a challenge. But although, I mean, bad guys were still operating, you know, Clint exactly. Barton was still killing them. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. I mean, certainly you can bring Hydra back at any point. They're never really gone, even when you say they're gone. So there's there is Hydra. But I don't necessarily think in terms of the five year gap. I mean, I, I think the reason for it was you know, to make sure it was a, an amount of time that mattered, but also, um, you know, to make sure that it was something where characters would kind of have to move on. And, and certainly within the context of Endgame, it explains a lot. You know, it explains Thor's transformation and it explains Hulk's transformation, you know, explains why these characters can be so different from when they first killed Thanos. So you have some of that. Uh, but I also just think, you know, in terms of screwing up everybody's lives, I think it's intentional. The fa You know, because mm -hmm. five years is long enough for people to... You know, yeah, we saw that some people were kind of paralyzed with grief, as we saw in the support group. But we also saw people going out, you know, with the family to breakfast at a diner. You know, some people were moving on. Um, it's not to say that they were forgetting, but they were getting on with their lives. And, you know, five years is what screws things up because people getting on with their lives is what's going to make it hard for those who were vanished to get back to their life. And in some cases, they're they're not going to be able to. And, and what I think that sets up, um, I actually thought of Zemo, not... Uh, not Zemo specifically, like actually Zemo, but remember the way Marvel Studios handles these things is we will get kind of a, we might get some overview of kind of the overall everyman situation, but the way Marvel likes to handle it is, you know, drill it down to character. So when it came right. time for the Avengers to answer for Sokovia, yes, there was the broader thing of the Sokovia Accords and all of that, but where it really come, came down to it from a personal perspective was here's one guy who was impacted by it. Here's how he was impacted by it. And here's what he's going to do about it. That's Zemo in Civil War. And mm -hmm. so it also has me wondering, you know, who spent the five years going through absolute hell or 
who was vanished for five years came back, and now their life is absolute hell because the life they came back to is, isn't even there, or the life they would have come back to isn't even there. How do they respond to that? And do they hold the Avengers responsible for that? Is there yeah. a person who feels that way? Is there a, a group of people who feel that way? And all of those different kinds of things, you know, that can create a lot of different story opportunities down the line. And I think, you know, the bigger point there is that, you know, it's just what really, what it really boils down to for me is that it matters. It matters as much as you, you know, I know people think with Marvel Studios movies that, or try to say, you know, there's no consequences, nothing means anything. This means something, you know, this is a, as I said, it's a permanent scar in the timeline of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and it is going to impact people. It's, it's a win for the Avengers, but it's not a complete victory because you can't just undo you know, you can't just undo everything. And so I think it's a really interesting story choice, you know, and a bold choice to for Marvel to be like, yeah, we're going to do this in Endgame. Uh, we're going to let the Russos end this era, the Infinity Saga, this way. And then we're just going to have to figure out how we build or how we build from there, you know, in the future. But I think it sets up a lot of opportunities. And that's what makes Far From Home so intriguing. Yeah. Is, we're going to see through Peter's eyes and through some of his classmates, we're going to get an idea of, of what it's like to come back to life and know that other people have moved on because we don't see every character, um, you know, from the, the academic decathlon team, like Abe is gone. We don't see Cindy yet in these trailers. Uh, we haven't seen Jason who was hosting the, the morning TV show at the high school with Betty Brandt. Like there are other characters and maybe we'll find out that, Martin Starr's character, Mr. Harrison or Harrington, whatever his name was, like he's going to he's been around for these past five years. So we will kind of I think Far From Home will give us uh, at least a taste of, of what life is like now as people try to adjust to this, because think of all the people who were around. They had to adjust to life after the snap. And now they have to adjust to life again as the people who come back are also adjusting because everybody has to figure this whole thing out. Like we spent five years without you and now you're back. How do we figure that out? Um, and Spider-Man 4, I, I don't think they can, they don't have enough time in these movies to dwell on all of the different scenarios that can yeah. unfold as a result of that. But we can still get what we need in terms of seeing and, and getting the impression that life is forever changed for a lot of people. I think we will get a taste of that in Far From Home. And of course, Marvel is always going to focus more on specific characters to show that kind of impact as opposed to, looking at it from a broader perspective, but that's what we're here for. And so we can know that a lot of these things are happening, are, are happening, even if we're only seeing, you know, a, a limited set of examples and, and how everybody's being impacted by it. <clears throat> yeah. There's not the impact of, of the snap is when you look at from the, again, from the, the small characters perspective, I, you know, I would, I, I'm really interested to see what happens with, with Captain America um, or, I keep calling him Captain America, Sam Wilson, Falcon and Winter Soldier and seeing with with, with Bucky, it's not going to be as big of a deal, obviously, because Bucky is going to be it's already happened to him. He's kind of lost majority of his life or the last hundred, you know, 80 years or whatever true. of his life already kind of being uh, a puppet. Yeah. So, <laughs> so I true. mean, so he's he's going to be at least affected yeah. of everyone. But but Sam Wilson, who now has the burden of another bird, excuse me, but the, the opportunity to be the next captain America and using cap shield and having to, you know, pretty much, you know, carry that tradition on. And then but also losing like five years of his life and, and then seeing his loved ones or whoever mm. move on without him. 
it's going to be very fascinating to see what what happens with that and what and where they go because to me it's you know what does the sam you know the sam what does he do what does does he again do because before we you know in my in the comic books sam and, and bucky would just be working for shield right right well and again I don't. I haven't watched Agents of Shield in forever. I know it's bad. I know. I know it's a lot. People love it, and I need to. I need to watch it. But I'm sorry. Well, the I'm... show. I mean, Shield has nothing to do with it. I know the series can still technically claim being canon with the MCU, but anything beyond season two, I, I think there's. It doesn't really sync up with the movies. But but either way, I think Shield's around, and I and that and this is where I think where where is. And again, the five years I think is is important from the standpoint because now how does Bucky and 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 Sam operate? The, before the, you had something to kind of base it off of in the comic books, you know, they, they could be independent people, but without Iron Man, without Shield, I mean, Sam has a te- his powers are based on technological, you know, things. So right. he needs technology. So he has to have something. So well, good thing he's uh, he's friendly with the folks in Wakanda. That helps. Th- that's true, and that's true. So I, you know, you got to. But again, with that five year gap, you got to wonder where. To me, I want to know where where does America stand just for us, right? And, and obviously, there's Far From Home deals with a whole different aspect of of Mysterio and, and who knows what's going on there as far as, you know, with the snap and if he's telling the truth, if the truth that he's really from the multiverse, but with this five years, you got to wonder where, where is exactly where is shield where and I say Hydra as well. Cause you know, you have one of the, you can't have one. Without, well, without the Nick Fury and Maria Hill are part of something. Exactly. You know, why are, why are they here? Why are they the ones running the show? Although, you know what's interesting is about their base is that it does kind of look underground. Um, mm-hmm. You know, in that meeting that we see between you know Sam, or from between Peter and, and Mysterio and, and Nick Fury, although there's other shots of them in, in an office, so it looks like a conference room. So it's kind of hard to see or tell exactly what's going on. But Nick Fury, and Maria Hill have been part of something, and they continue to be part of something in Far From Home. So yeah, it begs the question: is you know what is that organization? Is it S.H.I.E.L.D. that they've brought back? And I mean brought back in a way that the movies have, not the way that S.H.I.E.L.D. resurfaced in its own television show, but in a way that actually matters to the movies. You know, is S.H.I.E.L.D. back? Or is it some other organization that's basically S.H.I.E.L.D. but going by a different name? You know, I feel like there is going to be some sort of oversight because while the Sokovia Accords, I think they they did not matter in the five years because everybody was just so devastated by the snap. So I don't know that anybody really cared about the Sokovia Accords for a little while. But now that everybody's back, I wouldn't just assume that the idea of oversight is just completely gone and nobody cares about it. So it wouldn't surprise me if Nick Fury was brought back to oversee some other organization that might be a little more official and not so much an off-the-books kind of thing that he's been running for a while. And so that could be something that Sam and Bucky are reporting to in their show. Or if it's not, then it, it is still interesting, though. I mean, Sam and Bucky, I know that Sam kind of talked about, well, now nobody's giving me orders in, in Winter Soldier. But they've they've all kind of, both of those guys have constantly been deferring authority to somebody else, right? 
because even though Sam, you know, didn't have somebody that that outranked him in the military anymore, he still deferred to Steve because he even says, "I do it. Don't look at me. I do what he does, just slower." In Captain America: Winter Soldier, so Cap was still the boss, and, and same thing for for Bucky. And, and when it wasn't, uh, you know, when it wasn't Cap, then obviously he had the people who were brainwashing him as the Winter Soldier. So these guys are still pretty used to reporting to somebody else. So it would be interesting if there is no group that's overseeing them. How would they respond to? Hey, you guys are kind of in charge of yourselves now. Do what you, you know, do what you got to mm-hmm. do. Yeah. What does that mean for them? But I mean, if Sharon Carter is back in the series, she was working for the CIA, but in, it looked like she was going to lose her job because she helped Sam and, and Steve and Bucky in, in Civil War. But we never saw that that actually happened. Maybe she was able to recover from that or get another government job. It's hard to say what it's going to mean. There's they just have tons of possibilities there. But one other thing I want to make sure we we touch on is the idea of time travel because mm-hmm. because time travel was used to save the day in Endgame, at least save the day as much as it could be saved. Is this the kind of thing that, you know, people were wondering, well what's to stop anybody from using time travel again in the future? And I would say one thing that might stop people from using time travel again in the future is the fact that you don't really get to change things you know changing the past doesn't change the future that's the rule of and that's why they had to get the stones and then put them back i'm not going to go through all the time travel minutia of endgame again point being that endgame says that for in the rules of this universe time travel is not as simple as just going back and and undoing something It, it doesn't work quite that way you have to bring the past to the present to undo it uh in or to you know reverse things or undo as as much as you can possibly undo so i don't know that Time travel is really that simple of a solution to just be used again. But what I think is the intriguing possibility about it is I don't think the heroes, I think the heroes understand, okay, look, time travel is something that exists. We have a quantum tunnel, so we can always try to use that to figure it out. But there's one thing between, you know, there's a huge difference between trying to undo, you know, one death or one horrific event versus, you know, that, you know, killed maybe several people versus literally half of all life in the universe. So, I mean, <laughs> I, you know, you could certainly say that there would be a, a severity of the issue that would, uh, you know, determine whether or not they were going to use time travel or they would just not do it because it's not as simple as it seems. But part of the reason they may not use time travel again could be in Far From Home. If there's any truth to the idea of the multiverse as it's not just the fact that a multiverse exists as defined by Dr. Strange, but if it works in a way that's being teased by Mysterio and far from home, it's like, Oh, screwing with time messes things up. Maybe not in the way that we thought it would, but it still messed things up. So maybe we probably shouldn't do that anymore. So for me, it's it's not even so much a question about whether or not the heroes would use it because the heroes would probably realize it's not the best thing to do. But villains tend to be a little more selfish. And so if it's something that exists, I could certainly see how an antagonist in these films or a group of antagonists might want to do it. And that's just, to me, that's a cool challenge for the Avengers. It's like, okay, well, you guys don't want to do time travel anymore, but there's some bad guys who want to use time travel to to get away with some bad things, and now you have to stop them. That kind of stuff is, uh, I think, very. That's interesting to me. That it's it's good that that question is out there. I don't think that's a question that Endgame needed to resolve. It's good that time travel is this thing that we know is possible in the MCU, and it, it creates you know a lot of storytelling opportunities for who would do it and why. And if it's bad guys doing it, the fact that good guys now have to stop or have to go stop them. 
Yeah, time travel is one of those things that is just, it's hard. I, especially how Endgame does it, and I, I like how Endgame does it. I like, and you bring up great points, Sean, is that with time travel, they make it to where it's not, it's not an easy fix. And that's, and again, as we know from reading the comic books for so many years, that is like the easiest thing for a lot of these people to do, or, or I guess not even the comic books, because even the Fantastic Four, it kind of similar to what you were, what, what Hulk says is that when you go back in time, you just change a reality, you know, basically, or, or excuse me, that's what the um, Sorcerer Supreme, what's her name? I'm ancient her, one. The, ancient one. I couldn't remember her name. Uh, that's what she says. And that's what happens. Like when, when, whenever the fantastic four would, you know, gr- use Dr. Doom's time, infamous time machine, that's what would happen. And that's what they explained. That's, you know, they wouldn't, you know, it wouldn't be an easy thing. So they can't make it an easy out to fix everything. They had to make it obviously, you know, complicated. So I don't know. It, it, the, the time travel thing is, is, is a tough one. And it's one that I, I just, yeah, it's, I, don't, I just don't know they should ever use it again, to be quite honest. And, but also the problem is there too is now they can, if they, they, if they ever lose, they can just go back and, you know, use time. So, but they can't though, because that's not, you know, because going back and undoing it would have been what the Avengers thought they could do at first. That's what Rhodey and Scott thought they could do by just. Ah, uh, that's right. Yeah. 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 That's so right. they, it's not, it's not as simple as that. You know, there would be, you'd have to go about it a different way because that's really what they did is they borrowed from the past to change that's the right. present. That's and then right. they put okay. the past back. Now, other things happen and Steve went and did his own thing, but Steve going back and, and living another life, it doesn't undo everything that happened in his life before then. And so it wouldn't undo a bad thing to go back and, you know, relive a life in a certain way. Like none of that, it doesn't work that way in the MCU as far as time travel works. So it's not a simple solution. Only certain things could probably be solved by time travel. And I don't think they'll use time travel a lot, but what happened in Endgame, to me, that's not bad motivation for somebody like Kang, who's now available in the MCU to be like, oh, you mess with time? You think you 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 think you know how time travel works? Guess what, guys? I'm here now. Like... So you mm-hmm. have this certainly sets up characters throughout space, throughout the multiverse, potentially like this creates a lot of opportunities for other stories in the future. Not so much to reuse time travel as a device, but to just take what the Avengers did in Endgame and show that it wasn't it was already pretty complex in Endgame. But what they think they understood in Endgame isn't the whole story, which we may get a piece of in Far From Home, depending on what, you know, how much Mysterio is or isn't telling the truth in the multi about the multiverse. So we may get some of that there, but we can always get more uh, in later stories down the line. And so I'm I'm really excited about uh, time travel in the MCU, even if it just means that somebody else is angry that the Avengers mess with time and they comes calling on the Avengers. And, and Kang could certainly be a character uh, oh, that man. would fit the bill there. Let's talk about the Infinity Stones for a second. Okay. So for the Infinity Stones, this has been a question because of what the Ancient One said. The the Infinity Stones create what you call, what you consider or what you experience as the flow of time. If you remove one stone from that reality, that new branch reality is basically chaos and it's open to all kinds of threats. And I wonder what that means. And so people have been wondering, what does that mean? Well, the present day MCU has lost all of its infinity stones. 
Oh man. Hmm. So what does that mean? You know, does that mean that this timeline, the MCU prime timeline is now uh, open to all kinds of crazy new threats? Yeah, I think so. Um, but it may not be quite the same way that the ancient one described. Cause it depends on you. You can go back to the specific thing that Thanos said. He did say, I use the stones to destroy the stones. But what he actually said before that was, when they asked him where the stones were, he said, gone, reduced to atoms. So if they've, been, if they've been reduced to atoms, they still technically exist on an atomic level. They just can't be used because they've been reduced to atoms and scattered apart. So maybe it doesn't cause the same impact that the ancient one talked about in terms of com- entirely removing a stone from its timeline. So there is that, that could be okay. But speaking of the ancient one, we know that the Time Stone is something, as she said, it's been our chief weapon against the forces of darkness for centuries. That's what the masters of the mystic arts have been using is the Time Stone. How did Doctor Strange save the day in his first movie? Time Stone, trap Dormammu in a time loop. Well, guess what? He can't do that anymore. So if there's another issue with Dormammu, not going to be able to use the time, not going to be able to use the Time Stone to get out of it. So I don't know if there's going to be a, a a broad impact across the entire MCU because the Infinity Stones have been atomized. But I know in the case of the Doctor Strange franchise, certainly them not having the Time Stone uh, opens them up to uh, to a lot of new threats. That's a really great point. What what exactly were those threats they were holding back with the Time Stone? And what exactly does that mean? And also, what does that mean for other threats in the cosmic universe? What was holding those things at bay? You know, we don't know. It goes for all the stones and what, what that means. And, and does that mean that uh, there's ancient evil out there that's going to feel that they can roam out because the stones are no longer around? It's really fascinating to think about. Maybe that's how Galactus you know, comes into fruition, the fact that he's was being kept at bay for one, one of the stones as well. And because that's out, he can now go – or maybe the stones have notified him that there's something going on in a different galaxy. And he just starts you know, – because obviously he's going to go all over, over the place. And, and he's like, oh, what's this? What's over here? This is big – all this rummaging around. These, these, the Infinity Stones are now are destroyed or whatever. I mean – the ramifications of that are are huge, and I think the fact that you know Dormammu is now, uh, or Dormammu, if you are an old listener, <laughs> um, so. Uh, but but anyway, you got to wonder wh- what exactly does that mean? Like like you said, like that's that is. I even think about that, Sean. The fact that Dormammu now can go out and he's and and to me, what it means is that Doctor Strange has to become even more powerful. Oh yeah. And, that's what his sequel movie will be is that now that the time stone is gone, he has to elevate his game. So he has to go even further into the mystic arts and, and become the even more ultimate super, uh, sorcerer supreme. And again, get makes that sequel like black Panther is, has his kind of you know main story characterization kind of quest as maybe potentially regaining the, the followers of his people. Dr. Strange has become bigger than what he ever thought he'd have to be because he gave up the stone for all of life, he did the right thing, obviously. But what does that mean? He has to become even more powerful to take on these bigger threats that the Time Stone were, you know, keeping things at bay, like a Dormammu, et cetera, et cetera. So that's really fascinating, and how they do that, and 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 where they do that, and, and what Doctor Strange has to do 
is is really cool. I, I I'm really intrigued what that means because I think that's what it means, honestly. And, and I hope they get rid of the stupid sling ring, but maybe that'll never go away. But um, <laughs> that that's just me. It's a person. It's just not my not, yeah. not a sling guy. But yeah, I, I think for Doctor Strange, I think it means that there's going to have to be an elevation of his power and. I would love to see him go deeper into the mystic arts and maybe even learn like you probably, I mean, maybe, maybe with him learning these mystic arts, Sean, he'll open up something that, uh, he never thought he, you know, a new threat, like nightmare, if you will, like going down these yeah. mystic arts and also Baron Mordo. Think about this. What if he has to go to the Baron to learn more power? Like kind of like I have to learn the dark, the darkness. Well, I don't think Baron's going to teach him. And I think that's the issue right there for Dr. Strange, whether, because I could see him facing Dormammu in the second, or not Dormammu, um, Nightmare in the second one. And then in the third one, it's Mordo and Dormammu. Because that's kind of how it, it, that's how the Stan Lee, Steve Ditko run went. And the longer it term of the story arc is Strange had beef with Mordo, but he had, straight, he had beef with Dormammu. And part of the way he kept Dormammu at bay for a while was a bargain so maybe dormammu is you know still going to be like scout's honor and be like okay we made a bargain so even though you don't have the time stone anymore um or maybe dormammu will just assume that strange still has the time stone but who could be the person who could potentially communicate who would know how to communicate with dormammu and be like hey they don't have a time stone anymore let's go mordo could be that guy mordo could be the guy who not only is an antagonist for Doctor Strange, but make the situation worse by bringing Dormammu back into the uh, back into the picture. But I feel that I almost feel like that's more of a long term play than just being in the second movie. It could be in the second movie, but I still kind of would rather they they hold on to that for a second, and so we can have Nightmare in this uh, in this next one. But either way, it's there's a lot of trouble for the Masters of the Mystic Arts because they you know the Time Stone was a, a big thing for them. They don't have it anymore. But to your point. I mean, we already saw Doctor Strange being way more powerful in Infinity War and uh, and Endgame than we saw in his first movie. So clearly, that guy was practicing between. You know. No, sure. So, but no. yeah, but yeah, to your point though, like he, it's going to have to be even more because there's there's just no time stone. That's it. So we'll see uh, what that means for that franchise. But I also want to talk about the Avengers. What are the Avengers right now? I mean, mm. the, you have. Tony dead, Steve retired. You have Natasha dead or trapped in Soul World or whatever. Soul either way, World? either way, unavailable. Um, Dude, that's that's her movie, Black Widow, Soul World. That's a, her and Adventures in Soul World. Holy crap! I cracked the code. Not for her first movie, maybe the second one. Yeah. Um, so you have Black Widow, but still otherwise unavailable. Thor gone. So you have, you know, the only two original six Avengers who are even present are Hulk, who's dealing with half an arm. The Russos say that's permanent. Comic books would say otherwise. We'll see what the MCU yeah, decides to do for itself. I, there's no way that's permanent. Yeah, there's no he'll be, way. He'll be fine. Um, <laughs> so you have Hulk, and then you have Clint, who presumably would go back into retirement uh, with his family. He's not completely unavailable. If they desperately needed him, I guess he would probably go ahead and fight, but um, I don't even think they'd call him anyway. So, you know, Clint is like, you have so much turnover now with the Avengers. Now, other characters have subsequently become Avengers, and, and so it, it's not like they're the only ones. But mm-hmm. I, I guess the question is now is, what does an Avengers roster look like? Or the questions, what does a roster look like? Who's leading it? And where the hell are they even going to live? I mean, they could just rebuild the compound, but 
I almost feel like the point of destroying the compound is to is is another way to show that like hey this system's not going to work the way that it did in uh you know the quite the way that it did in uh in the in the initial the first three phases of the MCU the Infinity Saga era it's not going to work quite that same way maybe there will still be an Avengers compound but now you have all kinds of things going with so many new heroes introduced and so many heroes to be introduced in the next few years I mean, maybe this is where we have multiple Avengers rosters, even if they maybe they go by different names instead of West Coast Avengers and East Coast Avengers. Maybe it's Avengers and Ultimates and Champions and and all these other team names. You can go ahead and change those up as much as you want if you're Marvel Studios. But I'm just curious how things are going to work and what is it going to look like for the Avengers? Um, Let's go with the let's go with the housing situation first. Do you think they're just going to rebuild Avengers compound or do you think they might do? something else. I wouldn't mind a, a, a home base out in space, by the way. I think it's kind of time to have something in orbit uh, that points to S.W.O.R.D. or Alpha Flight or whatever Marvel wants to call it. Well, it's funny you should say that because there's a lot of options on the table. Obviously, Avengers Mansion was is the is the the OG of all the compounds and whatnot from the comic books. And I'm, I'm going strictly from the comic books, you know, for the most part when I think about this. Uh, they've had all kinds of different locations as far as that goes and there's a lot this is a this is a good whole episode just of the avengers itself right sean like this is like a lot to talk about so but just for the compound itself as of right now they are in a dead celestial head in the comic books which is really cool and i think like i don't think that's going to happen but i would love something like a deep cut like that right like something that's going to be kind of just super cool the compound's fine and obviously, uh, uh, the Stark Tower, which I originally thought that was what was going to happen, um, which or did happen, but it didn't last very long. Obviously, um, it lasted into Age of Ultron, and then was done. But I like the idea of an Avengers Tower. But I think what Europe kind of hinted on is something that I think they make. There's there's two big options. If I'm thinking strictly just what the MCU options are on the table, that I think that are the likely uh, things to happen are probably in space because that's Captain Marvel's kind of area, right? So mm-hmm. and it's also the Ultimates area. Now, yep. now if, if there is a there was a Ultimate series that was written by Al Ewing, who also is writing the Amazing Immortal Hulk, which I've been will not shut up about. But he also wrote the Ultimates, and um, the the his first run on the Ultimates was really really good. It's super deep cut Marvel stuff, but it's super super cool and. Uh, and Captain Marvel and Black Panther are both main characters in that series, and they operated a lot in and space. And so is Monica Rambeau, who's, exactly. who's now going to be that old in the MCU. Mm-hmm. And so there's a lots of cool things in there you could do with them in space. Now, that's kind of what, you know, or I think it's going to be the easiest one, which I think is the most likely, is a, some kind of Wakanda ambassador center that, that he does in the honor mm. of, of Iron Man, Tony Stark, like, like Avenger Tower or Stark Towers, Stark Compact, something like that in, in in the honor of Stark or the Avengers or whatever. It's going to well, be. Well, you do have that first Wakandan International Outreach Center in Oakland, which yes. is just across the bay from Ant-Man and the Wasp. So the makings of an, a West Coast Avengers, those pieces are actually right there, too. Right. So I think that's. If I was a betting man, that's where I'd go with. I'd, I'd bet somewhere in with Wakanda tie-ins or ties, because that way you can have uh, 
T'Challa fit the bill and you can throw a bunch of make it look good. And that's how they get their money. That's how they're, they're supported. Like kind of like you said about the Falcon. But as far as the, the team goes, that's where I'm kind of going with, man. I kind of feel it's going to be very loosely based off of the that Ultimates run because there's a lots of there are a lot of Avengers in that series. Like kind of you said, there's Monica Rambo, Spectrum, mm-hmm. there's Captain Marvel, there's Black Panther. Uh, you know, I think those are some of the characters you're probably going to see in the Avengers. I mean, because obviously Monica Rambo is probably going to show up in Captain Marvel two, the sequel. But what's just like Falcon, just like Bucky, or more more Falcon than anybody else, he ended up becoming a Avenger in from the sequel of Captain America. So I think that's where you're probably going with. You're probably going to introduce lots of different characters. But here, let me throw this back at you as well. Will we even see an actual Avengers team? Would they even? We heard the rumors about the Ultimates movie or TV yeah. series, which again, I'm not sure if I believe, but could it possibly be like you said? Is it going to be Ultimates? And would they save that Avengers for something a little bit more meaningful? Because they want to give it some time. Like, I'm, I'm not sure you're going to want to dive into another Avengers film. Maybe, let, again, kind of keep that specialness a little bit. Yeah. What if you saved it with Young Avengers, which they've already kind of semi-hinted at with, um, obviously, with Cassie being older now and that five-year gap. Yeah. Again, going back to the five-year conversation, what if that is also bring us up to speed to where – these younger heroes all of a sudden pop up and that's the young Avengers. Yeah. And I'll just really quickly clarify. I mean, none of what we're speculating about is just, is really based on rumors that have been swirling around because rumors are what rumors are. We're just taking our best guesses based on the pieces we see in play and then how we might be able to fill in blanks based on the comics, which means that in some cases we're just going to be flat out wrong. See our in the end game series. Anyway. um, No, I mean, as far as this idea of, of different teams, I mean, Young Avengers makes a lot of sense, but it's dependent on obviously Marvel Studios and and at least right now in terms of how quickly they could do it. Obviously, things got to continue with the Spider-Man deal, and you know I believe that that's going to continue, but we haven't had an official announcement, so we'll just have to wait and see on that. But you know, Spider-Man being part of it, Shuri can be part of it, and yeah, they did show uh, Cassie. You know, she's five years older, so she's now you know a high school age kid. And so she could be stature if they want to get into that for the Ant-Man franchise and and have her be part of a Young Avengers team. But I still feel like there are a couple of pieces that would be that I think would be part of an MCU Young Avengers team who've not yet been introduced. I think Sam Alexander Nova would be on that team. And I think Kamala Khan will be on that team. And so, you know, it's hard for me to see them doing it right away. I could see them eventually doing it. But either way, I mean, whether they have some other team as a substitute, I feel like it's still going to be a while before we see another Avengers movie. I agree with hey, that. Same. I mean, yeah. outside of this, uh, you know, outside of this one year gap between Infinity War and Endgame, it's been three years. It was three years between Avengers and Age of Ultron, and then three years between Age of Ultron and uh, and Infinity War. And so, going by that three year interval, that would mean the next Avengers movie in twenty twenty two. I will be shocked if Kevin Feige gets on stage at Comic-Con or D23 and there is an Avengers movie in 2022. I think we're looking at 2023 at the earliest, and mm-hmm. I, I wouldn't be at all surprised to see that an Avengers movie isn't even on the slate that Feige announces next because maybe it's not until 2024 or 2025. The idea of an Avengers movie might rest a little bit. There will be an Avengers movie, but... Um, 
I think it might I think it might be a little while and we might see some things stand in between then. So yeah, Ultimates is an idea, Young Avengers is an idea. That and that's why I think it's so interesting is we don't know how things are going to come together, but you know, there's one thing I want to I want to get back to the question of leadership in a second, but before we do, I'm going to I'm going to circle back around to time travel and people being upset about time travel only because you made me think of it when you mentioned the celestial head in the current Avengers run. Mm. So I talked about the idea of people being upset about the Avengers screwing with things, right? And how did the Jack Kirby Eternals run start with the Celestials returning to Earth to judge the Earth? Mm. And so maybe, since it was Earth who initiated all the time travel shenanigans, I mean, (laughs) technically, you know, Thanos descended from the Eternals as well in the comic books via retconning. And so, you you know, the Celestials should accept some blame for that, but they won't. So... You know, I, it wouldn't surprise me if this is part of the setup for the Eternals, is the Celestials return to Earth to judge the Earth, if that's part of the story, and it may not be. And because the Eternals are as old as human history, their movies can take place at any point in human history. I don't know that it's going to be a present-day story, but if it is, something that could have triggered the Celestials returning to Earth for judgment uh, and the Eternals coming out to help handle that situation would be what happened in Endgame. So that's a potential thing to keep an eye on for the Eternals movie. Um, But let's go back to leadership. There's been talk, and I mean, we've said it before, and a lot of people have said it and speculated about it. You know, people look at these two high-profile characters who have been introduced very recently in the MCU. I mean, they really go three because it's Captain Marvel, Black Panther, and Spider-Man, but... There's always the issue with Spider-Man that, you know, how long is the deal going to continue to go between Sony and, and Marvel slash Disney? But for Captain Marvel and T'Challa, you know, for Carol and T'Challa, people have thought of them as being perhaps the new Steve and Tony of the MCU. And while I think there could be some truth to that, just in terms of how popular they are and how much they're at the forefront of the MCU, that may not necessarily mean leadership roles with the Avengers because at least not in terms of the Avengers working the way that that we've known them to work in the in the Infinity Saga era, because in T'Challa's case, yeah, he's an Avenger, but the guy's also got a country to run. So, yeah. you know, his his attention cannot be one hundred percent dedicated to the Avengers. Now you could argue that you know, neither that Tony never gave the Avengers a hundred percent of his focus, but he gave a lot, and Steve certainly did. And they probably gave more focus than T'Challa might be able to do simply because neither one of them had to run a country. That's what T'Challa has to do. And then if you look at Carol in Endgame, well, where did she spend most of her time? Deep in space, fixing other people's problems. And it wasn't just the five-year, it wasn't just the snap that she was trying to fix. She was doing that for the past, you know, 20 plus years before the snap. You know, that's what Captain Marvel has been doing and so if she's going to be called to space all the time, now she can make Earth her home base, but if she's always going to be called out to resolve situations in space because she's the only one powerful enough and can get there quickly enough to deal with certain situations, is she also unavailable to be kind of a full-time leader of the Avengers? And that might be the case. So I still could totally see them finding a way to explain that Carol and or T'Challa will manage their time and they will still be the leaders of the Avengers or basically when they show up, they're in charge, even if they're not in charge of day to day, when they show up, they're in charge. But as far as who's the day to day leader of the Avengers, I mean, Sam Wilson is Captain America, so or going to be Captain America very, very soon. So, I mean, I, I kind of think of Sam as maybe the top new candidate, but 
you know, maybe, maybe I mean, Ant-Man and the Wasp have certainly stepped up and, and well, I don't think Scott's going to be a guy to lead the Avengers, but actually I wouldn't put it past hope to potentially be somebody who could be a leader on the Avengers. Uh, I don't know, but somebody kind of has to run point. Somebody has to call the shots the way that Cap did in the field. I don't right now. I'm not entirely sure who that person is. I'm going to go with probably it's going to probably be Carol or, or Black Panther. I, I, I feel like they're like the, because of just the fact they're both their films are, are huge giant successes they're both kind of come from a leadership background. Obviously, Carol from the military was, you know, it seems like that's kind of her thing. Kind of seems like seems like she would take charge. And obviously, <clears throat> T'Challa would be a great example because he runs a freaking you know country, right? Yeah. And so there's, so I and I feel like they both have those qualities and, and that they could both take over. Sam obviously has that as well, and that'd be great. I have no problem with either three, either three taking over that. But I kind of feel it's going to be between those two because of that, their of their their stat their status in the in the films that is, and and in the comics that you know Carol is, is, was I think she's a leader recently, and again I go back to the Ultimates, I go back to their yeah their interactions. Like I think Carol was the leader in that book, and T'Challa was like T'Challa was the one that was kind of kind of like the the again going back to my my conversation conversation last week about where. I feel like Captain America was the heart of the Avengers, but you know, but Iron Man was the brain of the Avengers kind of a thing. So kind of like, that's why I kind of feel like T'Challa is going to be more of the, uh, the heart of the team. And I feel like Carol's going to be the brain of the team. And I feel like I can't wait to kind of see them kind of go together and kind of see them play off each other. Cause again, going back to the comics, Al Ewing did a great job of having them interact a ton mm. in his series. And, and I, I loved what he did with them. I, it wasn't a, a, a very harmonious relationship. It was very, it was very conflicted and there was a lot of disagreements and I, and I loved how he wrote them. And I'm not sure in the new Jason Aaron Avengers comic series, if, if, if I know black Panther's on the black Panther's on the team and I know Carol's on the team as well, but I don't see him interact a ton. It's, it's, uh, from I remember, I haven't read the comics in a while. Um, but I read the first, like I'd say, twelve, you know, whatever. Um, right after Namor, uh, Namor show, showed up. But uh, but anyway, I kind of feel like it's going to be those two, and because of their status in the films, and given their history, I feel like they're going to be the ones that are going to lead the team, call the shots on the field. One of those two, and it's if I if I was a betting man, it's probably going to be Carol. I mean, I think they may, I mean, Iron Man and Cap, even though Cap was, yeah, like he was the field guy, Iron Man was still a leader on the team. And and so so I think they'll both be leaders, but I guess my my issue, my issue with them is not capability, it's availability. That's my only question mark when it comes to them as leaders on the team. But I kind of feel like once they're, even if, as I said, even if somebody like Sam is is running day to day, I feel like as soon as Carol or or T'Challa shows up, they just kind of naturally assume the leadership role. <laughs> like, but, yeah, yeah, exactly. But it, it would be interesting to see that, though, and that could actually create an interesting team dynamic is you mm-hmm. know, somebody calling yeah. the shots when maybe they're not around and don't know everybody on the team as well, you know, and, and maybe not, not necessarily knowing how to use those resources. I mean, that's the thing with, uh, with Carol that's different. You know, it kind of came up very briefly in Endgame and the beginning where she just says, I'm going to go kill Thanos. And she just says, like, I'll bring you guys something for, you know, Tony when he comes back. But she's not saying, like, let's go kill Thanos. I'm going to go kill Thanos. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, it's Steve and Natasha who kind of tell her, like, we normally work as a as a team here. Carol has largely been off on her own. So 
Um, you know, it's been a while since she's really had that kind of team dynamic, not since, you know, she was, you know, with Maria, like, that's it. I mean, she, she hasn't been on a team for a little while. Well, I mean, I guess she had some teamwork at, on Star Force at the Cree, but, you know, we haven't seen much, uh, much else from that, uh, in that respect for her. So it is a question mark in terms of, you know, how much she's going to want to be part of a team versus how much she's just going to want to go do things herself. And, and I think that's, it's not even just so much about her attitude, which I think, I don't have, there's no problems with her attitude, by the way, like she's fine, but does she need the help? Like, does she, like, what does she need other people to do because she's so powerful? But that's, that's more of a Captain Marvel question and how Marvel wants to manage her extreme power level as opposed to, you know, an Avengers team dynamic question. But, you know, those things too, those two things can intersect a bit, but obviously Carol and T'Challa are as qualified to lead the Avengers as anybody. They are as capable as anybody they just might not be able to do the job because they might be preoccupied with other things. And so that's where I think it could create an opening for somebody else. But maybe uh, maybe they're still like the, you know, one of them is the president, the other one's the CEO, and somebody else is like the chief operating officer of the Avengers who has to handle the day-to-day stuff uh, while Carol and T'Challa are looking more big picture and then step in and lead uh, when they're absolutely needed. Uh, but yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see what happens with the Avengers and how everything comes together uh, in these next uh, in these next few years, but what I love about it is that even though there are so many things we can point to, it also kind of feels like a blank canvas in a lot of ways. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I think that's the you know that's the best uh, that's the best spot for Marvel Studios. Yes, T'Challa, you know, already had a film. You know, so some characters were working on their sequels, but it's still a blank canvas as far as where things can go from here. And a lot of that is based on you know everything the the way Avengers Endgame ended, and I just love that. I love that I don't know, after following this universe for 11 years and 22 films, I don't know where it's going. You know, I we can take our best guess because we know, we remember some things from comics and whatever, but we still don't know because every time, you know, for as many choices that Marvel makes that are right in line with the comics, they might make another choice that's not what the comics do. Or even if it's similar to the comics, it's in Marvel Studios' own way. It's not going to be like for like, but... I appreciate that. I like that we have that we're going into this new era, really not knowing much about it um, in terms of what the uh, what the overall structure is going to be. Yeah, the structure is just that this is where it becomes exciting. And I think that Feige has just been for whatever reason, he just knows he, he has got his hands on what the fans want and how they want it and what they want. And again, we're talking like a good 90% of, of the fans are, are become the hardcore fan base of Marvel. And what's, and again, you're juggling not just these new fans, but the fans like me who are long, long, long time Marvel fans and that you're getting me excited and keeping me on my toes that I have no idea what's going to happen though. I, again, I know these characters pretty well and I usually know yeah. these, I, I'm always going to reference that because I want people to, cause to me, that's what give, that's what makes the MCU so special is that mm-hmm. we don't, it's got people like me or longtime fans. I have no idea what's going on. It's not like star Wars where they rebooted the whole everything. And they're just, they're kind of just kind of going along and you have, there's no real basis off it. Anything for the most part, Whereas again, this has a long, obviously a way longer history and and continuity, and they're they're drawing from and whatnot. Mm-hmm. But it's just to me, it's amazing that Kevin Feige has a slate and he has his ideas and he knows exactly. He has not missed yet, and it just 
I mean, the fact that he hasn't told us anything that's going on is just is keeping us on our toes. And it's exciting because we really have no idea. But there's hints, obviously, of the uh, we obviously know the Black Widow movies coming. The uh, Eternals are coming. But besides that, we're kind of like in Doctor Strange 2 and Black Panther 2 and Mar Captain Marvel. But after that, like, we don't really know what's going to happen. And obviously, they're going to introduce other films, you know, obviously, besides also um, what's it called? Uh, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. So you got all these sequels, but you know they're not just going to rest on doing sequels the whole time either, right? They're going to introduce new franchises, new properties. So it's just, it's really, really exciting. And the fact that he's been keeping everything super tight, you know, airtight, is fascinating. Yeah, it's really great. And I mean, I'm pretty sure I could guess what most of the movies are going to be as far as what's been, you know, what's going to be announced to I me, mean, Black Widow and Eternals for 2020. 2021, I'm guessing, I don't know what order, but Black Panther 2, Shang-Chi, Doctor Strange 2, and then 2022, probably a Captain Marvel sequel, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, um, maybe another Spider-Man movie, uh, maybe, <laughs> I mean, I don't know, I mean, Disney's got a few dates for Marvel in 2022, so, you know, maybe another Thor film, although I know Taika's going to be busy for a little while longer before he would come back, and we didn't even really touch on Thor, but, I mean, I think we already covered that in our Endgame stuff, I mean... Thor's wide open now. Thor can go do anything. Uh, I mean, that, that's the whole point of his ending for uh, at the end of Endgame is for him to actually say, for the first time in a thousand years, I have no path. And that, which if there's no path he's supposed to walk down, it means he can literally walk anywhere or fly anywhere in space with the Guardians of the Galaxy. So you have all of these different things that Marvel can do. And even if we know what some of the movies are going to be, it doesn't mean we have really that much of a clue as what those movies are going to do and how they're going to play with everything that has happened in the first, uh, you know, 11 years worth of movies that we've seen and how they're really more importantly going to be just moving the, uh, moving the story forward. Because as much as there's going to be some ramifications from Endgame, the other part of this, when you have this blank canvas is it creates a natural jumping on point. And, you know, kind of like comic books, you have a massive event series. Comic books have ruined it because they do events too often. So nothing really resets the, you know, we, we don't really get jumping on points for comic books anymore. Um, at least I don't think we get true jumping on points for comic books quite like it used to be. Um, maybe Hickman's X-Men stuff will be the exception this summer. We'll see. But for the MCU, this kind of is the jumping on point. Like I think they, as much as certain things will be based on what happened in Endgame, I think everything will be presented in a way for a lot of these movies, the Black Widow movie, if it's a prequel, probably being an exception. But for most of the other stuff, I think it's going to be presented in a way where if you've only if you haven't seen any of the other Marvel movies or if you've only seen like the first Captain Marvel movie for her sequel or the first Black Panther movie for his sequel, you're going to be OK as an audience member. And I think that's kind of smart. And and I also think because of that as well as the fact that the MCU continues to add to its own continuity. I know this is something we've touched on before, Paul, but I think it's going to get even harder for comic book fans to predict what the MCU is going to do because the more, you know, the, the bigger this story gets, the more of its own continuity it has to factor into the yep. creative decisions that are made. And that creates, you know, more, you know, more tangents from the comics, not necessarily in a bad way. Cause I think the main thing they have to do, they don't have to be true to the plot of any of the other stories, they have to be true to who the characters are. And as long as they keep that perspective, as long as that continues to be a priority for Marvel studios. And I don't see any reason why we should ever doubt that that wouldn't continue to be the case. Um, as long as that's happening for Marvel, then I think they're going to be fine. And, and we, as fans are, are going to be happy. Uh, but before we wrap up here, 
I do have some fellow Marvel fans to thank. Thank you, Ruthie Brown, Jason Lau, Brian Smith, Andy Barton, and L. Cheetow One. And I'm really sorry if I mispronounced that. They're the latest patrons at patreon.com slash Marvel Studios News, which means they have access to all kinds of things that are not available anywhere else. I mentioned at the top of a sh- uh, at the top of our show our Patreon exclusive Discord server. So that's where we're hanging out talking Marvel pretty much every day. And that includes text chat, but now also voice chat because once or twice a week I hold office hours where anybody can come in and we can just talk about Marvel or whatever else is on anybody's mind. Uh, but then we also have all kinds of exclusive content that's not available anywhere else. Patreon credit scenes where we're going to be talking about Venom and the MCU and other rumors and stuff that we weren't really addressing in this show. We'll talk about some of that stuff in the Patreon credit scene for this show. It's where we do, we take our main show, we have an extra conversation afterwards, and we put that out for our patrons. That's available for just a dollar a month, and that also includes 24-hour early access to this main show that you're hearing right now. But we also have a daily show, The Daily Bugle, that runs every Monday through Friday where I'm breaking down the latest news. And that feature, by the way, just celebrated its one-year anniversary on the same day that I'm recording this. Uh, wow. We've been doing that for a year. Uh, and so now it's up to 262 shows and counting, exclusive daily Marvel podcasts, uh, as well as weekly Q&A shows. We have all kinds of different things available on our Patreon. And for more information on the tiers, uh, you can find it at patreon.com slash Marvel Studios News. One last note that I forgot to put in there. Uh, if you do subscribe and you're getting the exclusive content, you get your own uh, you, your own private RSS link that you can subscribe to in a podcatcher like Apple Podcasts. So you get the main show and all the Patreon exclusives all in one spot. You don't have to track them down in uh, in multiple places. So, Paul, before we uh, wrap up here, any other any other thoughts on ramifications from Avengers Endgame that, uh, that are on your mind? I just keep going back to the idea, what is the underworld doing besides even Hydra? Like, what exactly is brewing that's going to cause our heroes to, you know, or use for story fodder for our heroes, you know, to combat and, and whatnot? So that, to me, is what I'm really intrigued by. Obviously, there's the, the bigger questions, like, how is the X-Men and Fantastic Four going to be in? But just strictly thinking about our characters now... And what what's going to happen? You got to wonder when these new villains are going to come up, and how this five year gap is going to probably play on the idea of these heroes aren't around. So there's, there's going to be lots of scheming and 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 things like that. So that's what I'm really looking forward to, and who they decide to bring in. I'm really fascinated to see uh, who that ends up being. Yeah, no, I think there's a lot of there's just so many interesting possibilities in play with this five year time gap and. And also, and just the way that's going to be explored, and the way everything else. I mean, the thing that I I think I'm most curious about is how Marvel will even approach the idea of the Avengers going forward. Where are they, and how many places are they? How do they come together? Do do they come do they come together? When they do, is that as one team or multiple teams, and who's in charge of what team? Whether it's one team or multiple teams, uh, there's a lot of different things that just go through my mind right now as far as uh, Avengers Endgame. But my favorite part about this is that. You know, whatever ideas we throw out there and what we speculate about, there's a really good chance of just being wrong because I don't even care about speculating correctly. Uh, I don't want the MCU to be completely predictable for me. So I like that it's in a place right now uh, where it's really hard for me to see how exactly it's all going to come together. All I really have is the excitement that I always have for Marvel characters and Marvel stories and the trust that I have in Marvel Studios and their ability to deliver them in a satisfying way on the big screen. And I just can't wait to see the next era of that Black Widow started production this week. And so, you know, I mean, we already have Far From Home that's going to come out in July, but 
just knowing that you know the next group of films have started production with Black Widow that's going to be out next year. It's just a really exciting time. I mean, not that it's ever not an exciting time to be a fan of the MCU, but uh, it's just uh, it's really great to be to kind of have all this stuff on the horizon. It's been mostly out of my mind uh, for I mean it comes up on the Q and A shows on the Patreon, but for the most part, you know, if I'm not addressing it specifically on a show, I'm, I'm trying to put it out of my mind because I was focusing so much on Endgame and just savoring that film. And I'm still doing that, by the way. Like, I'm still going back and watching Avengers Endgame. But now it is it is starting to, you know, starting to look forward. And I know Marvel Studios is going to be doing that in an official way uh, as they make announcements over the summer. So it's just a great time, and it's just so much fun uh, to be thinking about what could happen. And we'll start, we'll finally be able to, you know, at least have a, a chance of filling in some blanks when we know what films are coming over the first uh, few years of this new era. So whether that's Comic-Con or D23, I can't wait for uh, Kevin Feige to tell us uh, what exactly is uh, what exactly is going to be next. But that is where we are going to wrap up this episode of the podcast. Thank you all so much for checking in. Make sure you follow us. You can check us out again on the Patreon, patreon.com slash Marvel Studios News. On Twitter, at Marvel Newscast. Facebook and Instagram, at Marvel Studios News. Uh, the website, I don't know if I mentioned already, MarvelStudiosNews.com. Paul, where can they find you? You can find me on Twitter, at Herman22 with two N's, a.k.a. P-Thug. Also follow me on Instagram with the same name, at Herman22 with two N's, Paul Herman. And you can find me on Twitter and Instagram, at Mr. Sean Gerber. Sean spelled S-E-A-N. So for Paul, I'm Sean. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. <laughs>